Support for Long Form this week comes from listening. If you've ever had to rip through a huge pile of academic papers, you know how painful it can be to spend all that time staring at a piece of paper. Listening makes it really simple to convert anything you have to read into spoken words that you can enjoy on the go. Uses AI to generate realistic voices that sound like actual human beings. Plus, it comes with a powerful set of tools that allows you to do stuff like skip over non-essential text, but also take notes with one click. Your life just got a lot easier. Normally, you'd get a two-week free trial, but listeners of Longform get a whole month free. Go to listening.com slash longform or use code longform at checkout. Hello, and welcome back to the Long Form Podcast. I am Max Linsky. I'm here with my co-hosts, Aaron Lammer, Evan Ratliff. Gentlemen, hello. Hey. Happy New Year, Max. How are you going to kick off the new year for the show? It's a new year. It's a new us. And uh, I talked to Katie Vine. Katie Vine is uh, an executive editor at Texas Monthly. She has written for Texas Monthly for a long time. It is actually the only place that she has ever worked, as we talked about in this interview. Um, she's been there for 25 years, Texas Monthly, about to celebrate its 50th anniversary. And we talked about that arc and how she finds stories in Texas and why she is so interested in con men. And uh, I was also in Texas for the holidays, uh, visiting some family, and so we got to do this interview in person at the Texas Monthly offices, which was uh, which was nice. It's so nice to do these things in person, particularly in the state of Texas. It seems like one thousand years ago that we used to have like a landlocked cubicle in the Atavist office, and people would show up every week to talk to us. I don't even remember. I think the last time I did it in person was maybe when Evan came to my house, but that doesn't count. <laughs> so, yeah. Here's to the glory days of getting to meet all these people. Was great. Also great staying at home all the time and taping remotely. Everyone wins. <laughs> we are brought to you in partnership with Vox Media. They help us make this show. Thanks to everyone over at Vox. And now here's Max with Katie Vine. Hi, Katie. Hey, Max. Look at us in a proper studio. It's cozy. It's cozy, but it's also kind of spacious. We are at your uh, podcast studio at the offices of Texas Monthly. It's making me feel very nostalgic. (laughs) I've spent some time in these offices. Oh, yeah. And I haven't been here in a long time. And it is wonderful to be here. I realized I was walking over here, Mm. thinking about talking to you, and realized that I know your work really well, and I have some sense of your arc at Texas Monthly, which is now 25 years. Yeah. Do I have that right? Mm-hmm. But I don't know before Texas Monthly at all. <laughs> you want to hear that? Uh-huh. I do. Yeah. How well, did you How did you get here? I was filing paperwork in the basement of the Department of Public Safety, crying every day. Yeah, that sounds thrilling. <laughs> That's what I was doing. So there was no internet, right? Um, I didn't. I just didn't know what I was doing. And I, all I knew was I had I had worked mostly in fiction, and then graduated from college and realized like, oh crap, I didn't have a trust fund. Um, how am I going to do that? And um, to pay bills, yeah, I was I was 
filing DWI paperwork and then making appointments for people um, with the judges. And it was about as depressing as you can imagine. But the beauty of having a job like that, I feel like, is it kind of kicks your ass (laughs) into really like doing something else. I mean, I had friends who worked in, in better, like more fun jobs with people they really liked. Sounds like kind of a low bar. Well, <laughs> you're early 20s, right? right, I mean, right, right. You know, like I was 21. And and then and so that, you know, I got here and it was like, what am I going to do? Um, but then I remember in the in the library, the central library, second floor, there was this big blue book and it said something like media jobs. <laughs> and I started I went to the Austin section and I just this is going to date it faxed my resume uh-huh. just all over. And I remember like the Lakeway Gazette wouldn't take me because they were very suspicious of like, what is an intern? What is that? And and then Texas Monthly called and they did not have a spot in editorial, but they had a spot as, as Mike Levy's intern, who was the founder and publisher. At the time, I had no idea why there would be this availability to be his intern like why would nobody want that and then I learned very quickly <laughs> why people weren't just clamoring for that internship uh, he's he was very tough but passionate and confident and I learned a lot from him and uh, I remember there was one one he, he made me do something called a transmittal where before email right so uh, he'd clip out any newspaper article he thought everybody on staff needed to read whether it be about you know, uh, the publishing business or about Texas, how Texas was changing, anything like that. He wanted us all to kind of be informed and on the same page. Of course, we all had to read all the newspapers every morning anyway, but just in case we missed a particular story, he wanted us all to have the same language and the same understandings. So he would clip it out and he would put it in this file. And at the end of the week, I had to cut them with an X-Acto knife so that it would be a perfect, and then, and then tape it onto a white sheet and then photocopy that for however, a hundred and some uh, employees, and then everybody he would he would quiz people in the hall like, did you read page thirty five of the transmittal this week? You know, and then like ask you questions about it. But one time I got a thumbprint because it's all newsprint, right? Uh-huh. And I got a thumbprint on the tape, and I remember he had made me do it all over. <laughs> really? Yeah. And I told him this recently, and he apologized because he knows he could he could be a little much. But it was like that. I mean, if you left your coffee mug on your desk, you'd get a note like, I am not your secretary or something like that. But he would always, your blinds had to be at a certain 45 degrees. Like, he was very particular. But, you know, he also told people, we're going to put out a great magazine. And everybody believed it. (laughs) Do you think you have to be like a psycho about curtain angles in order to have (laughs) that kind of ambition? I think you have to believe that you could, that it could happen even without any experience. Uh-huh. I mean, that's how a lot of things are. Yeah, I think that's true. But at that point, Texas Monthly had been around for, what, 25, 25 years? years? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It done some pretty great work. Yeah. Maybe you can relax about the thumbprints and the curtains a little bit. <laughs> so how long did you stay in the uh, photocopy game? I think I was, I was his intern for three months, and then I moved over to edit. And what did you want to be doing then? I don't think I knew. I didn't want to be filing DWI paperwork. It was, I mean, talk about low bar. I, I, I just knew what I, what I couldn't handle. And luckily, um, I just got along great with the editor at, at that time was Greg Curtis. 
and and someone left. The, I took someone's spot who thought it would be a better gig to go up and sell hot dogs at the Round Rock uh, baseball stadium. That <laughs> she thought she was like, screw this, I'm gonna. Go. And it was just, I mean, it was. I think the pay was nineteen thousand, mm-hmm. which was more than I had been making. So I thought I was like really in the money. Yeah. But I think you know there were a lot of factors. There was the dot com boom. I remember at the time, long form was dead. Everybody was saying long form's dead. Nobody's going to read long form anymore. And so I was like, great. Like, I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> I can, you know, and then didn't, I didn't do longer stories for a while, but, um, but started with small interviews and, and doing a, like a calendar of events. That was my main job. I was supposed to do the calendar and then, um, and then everything else was just, uh, for fun, I would do reporting stories, and um, my my office was right across from, luckily, uh, Sam Gwynn, who his confidence could like run the state, uh, <laughs> uh, like just by his own personal electricity. He had enough confidence; I didn't have any, and he would be like, "That's a great story. You should do, and that's like the most epic." story you should do a big feature on that I, hadn't, I was like what are you talking about and so I think just sitting across from him <laughs> like made me think maybe I can do this all right let's do it so you wanted to be writing long stories then even while you're doing the calendar stuff yeah, and yeah. taking these little reporting shots that was yeah. that was the goal yeah because I mean everybody everybody in the room was did you have a kind of story that you wanted to be doing Subculture stories. That's what I really loved in the beginning. That sort of started me down that line of getting interested in like just little worlds. So then I did one on the circus, like a three-person circus family that mm-hmm. traveled around. And I, I, I traveled with them for a while. Things like that. I, I loved doing that. And, and the reporting's always a blast. And the people aren't like famous. So... They'll talk to you, and yeah. they want their story told, and they're proud of what they do, and I just think they're they're so fun. It's amazing to think about that moment in time. I mean, I guess that's kind of always been true of this place, that there were these incredible writers at the absolute top of their game. But it's it's amazing to think about you being young and new to this and like (laughs) what was it like for you to be around that was it like um inspiring or intimidating or both it was and is very supportive it never felt intimidating in a way that was negative like like um that's remarkable yeah they the the older writers were always very um i mean they still feel very much like you know sort of uncles and aunts to me um and does that seem unique to texas I don't monthly know. I, I don't know you tell me i don't know other places it didn't feel competitive no not to me it, it's never felt competitive it's very very collaborative and and we come up with stories for each other a lot um don't always take the stories that you think that each other should do mm-hmm. but yeah uh that's all that's and with with the people who are more my own age you know um uh, basically sat next to each other, you know, before laptops mm-hmm. um, every day for at least 10 years. And then um, unless you were reporting, you were sitting next to those people. So they knew your personal problems. They knew your professional problems. Like we just knew all each other's business um, and could help usually like 
with if you if you're stuck on a story, you know. Do you think there's some aspect of that that's about Texas Monthly's place in the state and how few other places are doing it? Like, there weren't a lot of other Texas Monthlies that were competing with this one in a way that feels distinct to say, like mm-hmm. the many many magazines in New York, yeah, right? Yeah, right? Where there's there's some aspect of competition and also people are moving around a bunch. And I just the way that you're describing that culture feels a little bit different to me than the way that people have described the New Yorker or the New oh. York Times Magazine oh. or places like that. I think oh. like um doesn't sound quite as familial uh-huh. to me. Maybe. I mean, it could be. I don't know why that was always the way it operated, but uh, I can't think of many times when a writer ever would have said something uh, negative to a younger writer or even a, even about them in a way that they'd ever hear back. Like it, it, I, don't, I can't imagine that. It just wasn't the culture of it. Seems great. Yeah, totally. And I hope it's still, I mean, I hope it still feels that way to some of the younger folks coming up. It's different because everybody has laptops and home where people work from home and all that. Mm-hmm. What else is different about Texas Monthly now than when you started? Mm, you've gone through different owners. Yeah. You know. How's that situation now? And it's amazing. I mean, it's it's a whole new world. It's like, where have you been all my life? Because um, there were some rocky moments. <laughs> uh, I mean, there have been many. There were definitely times, I think I can say this at this point, we were owned by a company that owned a lot of radio stations, and there were there was a time when the magazine industry in general was going kind of down the tubes, but it really felt like just turn out the lights when you're done. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seemed like enjoy it while it lasts, because give yourself another two years, and mm-hmm. then you're going to have to like figure out like what other line of work you're going to do. You know, I mean, it, it definitely felt like that, and but it felt like that to deep, me from the outside for yeah. what what was going to happen here did you did you think about what else we would do no just back back to the <laughs> office of public safety i just stuck right on this and be like we're just going to keep doing the work and and see what happens um that seems like actually like a quite positive response to a moment like that mhm well maybe i i mean I mean, what else are you going to do? What else? I had no plan. I don't, I don't want to do anything else. This is, I like this. And I think it's, I had the most, a younger uh, writer was up here one time and said that some of her friends thought, you know, when I was, I think I was referencing some old stories um, that I really liked. And she said, you know, a lot of my friends feel like those are, that's just really a precious way to think about it. And it just broke my heart. I was like, this is a whole thing that I guess is there's a group of people who I mean I knew there were people who never cared about it totally fine I get that sure. but like people who I thought would care about it and that they were going away too mm-hmm. um, for reasons I didn't understand at all because I was like that should totally be the audience for long form stories and if they don't like it that feels weird like why there, I mean, I, I don't know if it's got too too sort of formal for a lot of people or um, too stuffy. I don't under, I don't know. I mean, it's definitely changed. You've watched the evolution of style 
over over the time that you've just been doing long for? Like, how would you describe it? Um, I feel like the thing that has changed, but this is probably pretty specific to my experience, is that I think that fewer young people who are really talented storytellers are choosing this medium as a place to work. And I think yeah. it's because it feels less viable. Yeah, you can't make a living. Yeah. 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 Like can. I think I think it's <laughs> I, I think it has a lot to do with yeah. the economics of it. You know, the barrier to entry is really high. Yeah. The number of slots feel really low. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's no pipeline anymore. Yeah. So that that's that's what feels the most distinct to me, which I, is also yeah. quite sad. I just think it doesn't feel realistic. Yeah. Hmm. That's a bummer. That all makes me. That all makes me. <laughs> that all makes me bummed out. Can we just talk about stories for a little while? Uh, yeah. I will say, like, before I ask you about your stories, mm. it feels good in here. Yeah. I mean, this is, we're in a nice studio. These guys have a good vibe. There's like uh, your offices in downtown Austin. Yeah. It's got big. Feels like a feels like a magazine. Yeah, yeah. Does it feel that way to you? Yeah, totally. Yeah, there was a while when it, it didn't, because we moved over by the highway briefly, and there was this. I remember trying to describe to somebody who was coming up for an interview where it was, and I said, "Look for the building in the middle of a field near the highway where you think that can't be it, and take a right, <laughs> <laughs> enter the parking lot." Yeah, that was, but that was a brief period, and now we're back downtown. We've been here for a while. And this is an amazing building, um, view of the Capitol. I mean, it's it's pretty awesome. I know some people at a certain point have said, you know, like, I, I, I want to go do some stories outside of Texas. I just I don't care about that. You never had that itch? No. I mean, this is a huge state. There's so much. And, ev- like, you could... And it's different everywhere you look. I mean, especially you just go to Houston and there's like worlds within worlds within worlds just mm-hmm. in the one city. So you go to San Antonio and you're like in a different country and you go to Dallas, you're in a totally different country. I mean, it's just um, I just feel like it's every area you drive a few hours and and you're someplace that uh, – where the the people are slightly different from where you just left, it's just, it's wild to me. Um, it's, it's endlessly fascinating. Support for Long Form This Week comes from listening. If you find yourself behind the eight ball needing to read a bunch of academic papers or journals or any kind of dense reading material you might make your life a lot easier by checking out listening. It takes anything, articles, books, PDFs, and turns the text into spoken word that you can absorb no matter what you're doing. The app has a lifelike AI voices complete with emotion and intonation that creates a realistic and pleasant listening experience. So I had to go into the city for some meetings. I needed to review some PDFs threw them in there, listened to them on the way. It was both pleasant and I kind of forgot that I wasn't like listening to a professionally done audiobook or something. Like very quickly, 
The voices sounded totally natural and human to me. This listening app might just transform how you consume reading material and you can give it a shot yourself risk-free. Now, normally you get a two-week free trial, but listeners of Longform get a whole month free. Go to listening.com slash longform or use the code longform at checkout listening. Your life just got a lot easier. All right, let's talk about your stories. Can we talk sure. about some stories? Let's talk stories. All right. I don't know how to talk to you about your stories and not start with uh, with the fruitcake story. Okay. Maybe you could briefly give the synopsis okay. of the fruitcake story. Yes. And then we can talk a little bit about uh, Conman. Okay. Sandy Jenkins was a 50-some-year-old second-level like accountant. He had, he had a, one guy over him in accounting in a company called the Collins Street Bakery, which is considered the greatest fruitcake company in the world. Thank you very much. And they're up in Corsicana, just southeast of Dallas. And I think they say 50 miles in 100 years uh, <laughs> previous to Dallas, something like that. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember what the saying is. 50 miles in 100 years south of Dallas. Years south of Dallas. And, um, and then uh, he one day decided to start embezzling money and after seven or eight years, had quietly embezzled $17 million. $17 million. $17 million is a lot. It's a lot of fruitcake. Yeah. And he wasn't, uh, he wasn't quiet about it. No. He was splashing money around. Totally. Because he wanted to impress. This is what I thought was so fun about this story is no matter where you live, there's probably going to be some group that folks in that town want to impress, Mm -hmm. whether it's New York City or Dallas or Corsicana. (laughs) And in Corsicana, he wanted to impress the muckety-mucks of that town, which is just the funniest thing in the world to me. (laughs) Um, But, you know, that's how it is everywhere. Um, And he was willing to talk with me. Uh, the feds were willing to talk and kind of reveal how they were able to find him and, and figure things out. The people at the bakery were remarkably open about it. And, and Bob McNutt, his real name, Bob McNutt, owner of the Fruitcake Company, was all for it. Why he was he all for it, do you think? It. He's a funny guy. I think he's a guy who had $17 million stolen, stolen from, from him. him. And Under he's his own making nose. jokes. Yeah. Totally. I love that guy. And Reading. he wasn't just making jokes to me. He was making jokes all over town. Totally. And, and when they did the, when they auctioned off, you know, after Sandy got busted and and they were auctioning off all of his many, many, like, furs and watches and wines and, oh, God, he just had so much stuff in his house. So they, they had the auction and people were lined up down the block and Bob McNutt is going up and down the line with a bunch of cookies, you know, chatting people up and making jokes. And trying to get him to pay top dollar because he was going to get... he's going to get some of the proceeds. Right, he was going to get everything yeah. from the sale. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like everyone in that story, including Sandy, yeah. who stole $17 million, right. and Bob, yeah. who had $17 million stolen from him, yeah. kind of thought it was funny. Kind of. I mean, I'm sure it sucked. Yeah. But 
also... It's just pretty funny to steal $17 million from you know, a fruitcake company. And, and Sandy, he would go back and forth. Like, some days he would, you know, show a lot of regret. Other days he would be like, you know what? I'd do it again. <laughs> it was worth it. Screw these people, you know? Like, and he gained notoriety from his fellow inmates, a respect that he never got on the outside. And I I remember him talking about that, and, and he was like, you know, they think I'm hot shit, mm-hmm. you know? Like, mm-hmm. I got away with more than anybody in here. <laughs> There's serious respect for that. There's something in that story which felt similar to me to some other ones you've written. So mm-hmm. you, you wrote a, about a guy who... Um, was doing like really high end insurance scams, uh-huh. crashing, TR, uh-huh. crashing planes, yeah, yeah, to collect the insurance money, yeah. And it felt like there were two things in common in those stories. Mm-hmm. One was you spent a lot of time, particularly in like the first third or first half of the story, really operating from their vantage point. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of times in those like con men stories, <laughs> it starts with like the victims. And with both Sandy and TR, like, you really spent a lot of time trying to figure out where they were at uh-huh. and who they were and what would lead them to that. And then the other part that felt similar to me was that the stakes felt low, even though the amount of money felt high. <laughs> Does that sound right to you? I don't know. What, I'm not entirely sure. Like, Bob McNutt's walking around <laughs> oh, making oh, jokes. Oh. oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Like, no one yeah. really got hurt that bad. Right. And insurance for TR, it's like, eh, right. it's, the victims it's are like, insured. Yeah. Uh. Like, I guess they're like, they're sympathetic characters in a way. Right. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I wonder what, um, what draws you <laughs> to characters like that. Well, I think I'm a pretty serious goody two-shoes. And I'm endlessly fascinated by people who are like, screw it, no rules. Not anymore. Um, especially with Sandy, that was funny because, like, I think he had been very law-abiding before that. And then just one day, he's like, forget it. TR had been a con artist, I think, most of his life. I, don't, I mean, if he ever listens to this, I don't think that would surprise him that I feel that way. Um, you know, we were pretty frank in our, in our discussions and... and uh, and he, you know, there's just sort of a, maybe narcissism, I think, at play that I think is fascinating. And, you know, it's different from a violent offender. And I had done some of those. And I think I think I like the narrative drive of a crime. But I, I got real tired of thinking about violence. I got real tired of that. And so... Having the narrative drive of crime, but a white-collar crime, all of a sudden it was like, oh, so I can have, like, have my cake and eat it, too. That makes sense to me, and that connects even to the story you wrote about the uh, very short-term a mayor mayor uh-huh, of, uh-huh. of Gun Barrel City. Yeah. Also the same thing, like, yeah, incredible character. Totally. Wanted to talk and talk and talk about how he did it, why he did it. It's funny, you were saying that before when you were talking about these stories from subcultures that you like to write. And how people are proud of what they're doing and want to talk. Yeah. Is that something that you look for in a story that you don't have to like pry someone open that they're, they're pre-pried? 
that's how I prefer it. And that's probably why I have steered away from doing investigative stuff. Because if people don't want to talk, I'm generally like, not it. I mean, I, I, I can and have, but I'm, it's not when I'm doing my best and enjoying myself the most. I like it when someone wants to tell me their story, whether they're guilty or, or innocent. I mean, I just think that's, you're going to get more juice, you know. Do you think there's also like an element in which it feels like you're not like uh, tricking someone into talking to you? Oh, totally. Yeah. And I think this is universal, but but particularly what I found in in Texas is there is an, I'm going to say ego, but I don't mean it in a bad way. I think it's good um, where a lot of folks are like, yeah, what I do is a big deal and it's important and it's critical that the world hear what I do when I'm making boots or whatever it is. I think there is something that's in a lot of people where they just they want people to know that what what they do is a big deal. It's and it's fun and energizing to hear people talk like that, no matter what they do. And that feels like a Texan thing to you. I think some of the swagger is. Mm-hmm. I think some of that is because, you know, I grew up in Wisconsin, and I think some of the questions that I would, if I were to ask a farmer in Wisconsin, the response would not be. Of course you want to hear this. <laughs> right. Of course the world needs to know and sit down and let me tell you for a few days, like, how this came to be, how I came to form this empire. <laughs> I don't want to make it sound like a bad thing because I, I like it, as, especially as a storyteller. I, I love it. When was the last time you were bored? I don't remember. Do you remember? Yeah, I was bored yesterday. <laughs> I don't I don't know. Because I mean the beauty of working at this place really is if you are having a problem, it's a problem of your own making. Like you can pretty much do almost any kind of story you want as long as it's like you're doing a good job and you're thoughtful about the way you're doing it and you're working with the editors. But My experience has been, if you're having a problem, it's your problem, Mm -hmm. and only you can fix it. Mm -hmm. Um, No, but nobody's making you do anything you don't want to do. That's a pretty sweet gig. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty great. Do you like managing people? No. I've never had to do it. You never had to do it? No. You don't do it now? Nope. What's your job now? (laughs) What do you do for a living? I just write. That's it? I'm a reporter. Uh Uh-huh. What's your title? I'm an executive editor. You don't have to manage anyone if no. you're the executive editor? No. What does that mean? What does that title mean? So I think the titles, for a long time I used to joke that you would get a title change when they ran out of money. <laughs> 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 because like, cause that seemed to be how it, how it worked. Uh-huh. They'd be like, well, we'll make you an assistant editor. It's like, okay, well, I guess that sounds good. But, you know, okay, well, maybe more people will return my phone calls. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I always feel like all of the titles on magazine mastheads are hilarious because there's so <laughs> many. I mean, what do they? What do any of them mean? Like, unless you actually call it what it is, copy editors, fact checkers, like you know that. But for the most part, 
blank 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 editor. <laughs> I mean, doesn't mean shit. No. Wow, I feel like the the scales are falling from my eyes right now. <laughs> are you working on a couple of different feature ideas all the time? I try to, yes, because I found that if I don't, I, I'm screwed. You got to have a couple burners. Yeah, on. totally, because something is going to fall apart. How do things fall apart? Gonna, oh what, God, what? people back out, um, people die. Um, You've had people die. On yes. Um, the most random things I feel like can cause a story to fall apart, but you should just see it coming. Just assume. <laughs> sort of assume. This is why I, I think I'd be a terrible freelancer too. I always assume the worst, and even here, a, a lot of times when I'm pitching an editor on a story, like, I think this is really good, but it could all go south real fast. <laughs> and here are the many ways that this story might not work and might be like your worst nightmare. This, 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 and. And you can sort of see that they, after a while, I hope after they get to know me, they're like, it's fine. But yeah, I, I don't think that would fly. I've heard really good freelancers sometimes, like overheard them telling an editor-in-chief, like, here's why you should do this story. And the confidence is just like over the moon, you know, it's like, oh, this story's going to be the greatest thing. Yeah, it's like sales. And you, it, it's totally sales. I would suck at that. I, I, I remember hearing those, and I would just be like... I can think of all the ways your story is going to suck, <laughs> you know. Um, even if everybody cooperates, this is a problem, that's a problem. Yeah, you can see that stuff coming a mile away. But um, but if the planets align, um, it can work. Does the writing come easily to you? Not good writing. Writing, yes. <laughs> but not good writing doesn't. But I'll do the... Um, Chislers and the Pukers. I can't remember. I think it might have been Calvin Trillin who came up with the Chislers and the Pukers. I'm a puker. And so I could say it's very easy (laughs) to write garbage, which I usually do. I'll do my notebook dump into an outline and then take the outline and do a really terrible draft that basically looks like the outline in paragraph form. And then I'll print that out and start with a fresh screen and basically redo it and do that process over and over if if it's really bad sometimes I'll even like try to trick myself because it'll be so depressing to look at it and you're just like oh this sucks so bad that I'll turn it back into an outline <laughs> you know what I mean like, you'll, just put, you'll, just, de- you'll de-draft it de-draft it like like just so that there's lower stakes like this isn't a paragraph yeah. this is an outline this isn't even for the writing. greatest story ever <laughs> <laughs> but it's just not written yet. That sounds like um, a time-consuming process. It is. Except that I'm a fast typist. I'm a very fast typist. I could be like a court reporter. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Doesn't appeal much to you, though. No. Although, I think they make money. You worried yeah. about making money? Well. Well, I mean, you started here 25 years ago. Yeah. Making nineteen grand. <laughs> the slow climb from now, nineteen grand. Now you're an executive editor, right. which apparently doesn't mean anything. Well, it's nice. I'm just kidding. But it's not. I don't manage people. But do you worry about money? I mean, I'm in journalism, <laughs> so so it's not Wall Street, you know. But it's you're never gonna like get rich as a writer. 
on a magazine writer. I don't. I mean, I'm sure there are some, but I don't. I don't think anybody goes into this thinking like I'm going to make the bucks. Totally. I'm trying to yeah. understand. Yeah. The relationship that you have to this place and to your job. Yeah. Because I have to tell you. Yeah. Talked to a fair number of magazine writers in the last, call it five years. Uh huh. And. I don't think I've had a conversation like this one. What do you mean? Oh, well, because they're all depressed? Yeah. <laughs> right, Everyone's, right, right. De- I mean, yeah. I, I just think it's worth being honest about it. Right. People are depressed. Yeah. Freaked out. Yeah, yeah. Feel like their chosen profession is less viable all the time. Mm-hmm. But it was like that when I got into it. That's how, I mean, I think that's why I don't care anymore. I, that's That was the vibe when I... In 1997, that was the feeling. It was like, well, this ship's going under. And I was like, <laughs> I'm on board. Welcome. Just you know? like, throwing go. my life preserver Let's off the side. Totally. Well, I think my question. I mean, that, that's so positive. Well. I'm a positive person. I think what I'm trying to figure out is, is it you? Is it this place? Hmm. Again, I've talked to a lot of magazine writers in the last yeah. couple of years, and I, I, I don't think I've heard anyone, mm. including people who have made a ton of money, mm. sound quite as content <laughs> as you. Uh, that might be bad. I, <laughs> Contentment I, is supposed to be like a, a, a sin, right? Well, yeah. I wouldn't think of it that way. Right. I, I would think of it as a... Uh, <laughs> real, uh, yeah. real oasis yeah. in this magazine journalism conversation yeah. I've been having for years. Yeah, you know, we are currently protected from a lot of garbage, and I think during the years when we were owned by the radio station company, there was—I mean, there was just always this drumbeat of like, it's coming. It's all going to end soon. Just get ready. Get ready. And thank God, like, we just were ready to party while, the, while we could, you know? I mean, it just felt like that. And it may not be everybody. I don't know if you did a survey of everybody. Maybe it wouldn't feel like that with everybody. But for me, I felt like compared to where we've been yeah. in the past, yeah. I mean, some of the dark days of, of magazines where you feel like, well, this is it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, or when different publications go under or or stop doing long form altogether and you're like, what is happening? But we're still able to do this. And yeah. not just that, but like growing with doing podcasts and books and other stuff going. It's just like, should I... I can't complain about any of this shit. I mean, this is amazing. So I think part of it is a unique situation. Mm -hmm. But that unique situation that came after years of not having it, uh, you know, where you were definitely feeling like, well, any minute this is going to end. So enjoy while you can. Right. (laughs) Well, it also seems really significant to me that that's how it felt to you on day one, too. Oh, God. Totally. Like, if you jumped on this ship and the minute you got on it, everyone was like, 
this can sink at any time. <laughs> Just so we're clear, this can go down at any right. time. Right. And there have been moments over the last 25 years where the ship has felt like strong and riding mm-hmm. high. Mm-hmm. And then there's been other times where it's like taking on tons of water. Oh, yeah. And you got through that. Right. That makes some sense to me. I think that's got to be part. It's like if you've lived through the Great Depression, suddenly like like any other economic crisis, like whatever. Yeah. Like yeah. like these are small things. You know, you can get through this. It's like, But there were some things where it just felt like, well... It's been fun, everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but also yeah. What, what I'm hearing you say is like the thing that you want to be doing is this very specific work in this very specific place. Yeah. And you get to do it. Right. So, well, it's been great, Max. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my story. That's it. Yeah. That's true. I don't know what to say. I know that sounds... I know that there's some people who I've talked to who think that's really lame. Um, and maybe it's, maybe, you know, I mean, I can I can see how someone might think it's limiting or boring. I just, it's just endlessly fascinating to me. Um, and that's, I don't know what else to say about it. I don't think it's lame or boring. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think it's lucky and rare. Yeah. That's how I feel. And I still wake up and can't believe that I get to do it. Well, it's definitely a good sign that you're not going to the library and pulling out a giant media jobs. book that says media <laughs> jobs. I would love to actually get my hands on it. Can I ask you one more question? Sure. You go? So if you think about that moment, pulling out that book in the library, uh-huh. what would that Katie think about where you're at now? I don't know. Probably surprise, because I didn't, I, like, I can't really express my cluelessness. Like, I, like, I had no idea how to do life, period. Like, I just didn't, I didn't have a, I, I, but also, like, what else was it going to be? I, I mean, there were other things that I was interested in doing. I, I think I was trying to get into film, um. And that could have been fun, too. I mm-hmm. think I could have had a total blast doing that. Mm-hmm. I remember when I first moved down here, I was going to do furniture restoration. <laughs> um, but then I just couldn't get an in. So maybe if I'd had an in, I would be doing that. Yeah, if there had just been a book in the library, furniture <laughs> restoration <laughs> jobs. Furniture restoration jobs. Maybe I would have done that. I got to tell you, I feel like that's as good an answer to uh, <laughs> why this conversation has felt different than other ones I've had as anything else. <laughs> Katie, thank you so much for doing it. This is fun, Max. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Longform. I'm Max Linsky. My co-hosts are Aaron Lammer and Evan Ratliff. Seth Kelly edited this episode. Susan Peterson handled the show notes. Thanks to both of them. Thanks to everyone at Vox with whom we make this show. Thanks very much to Patrick Michaels, who engineered this at the Texas Monthly offices. Thank you so much, Patrick. And thank you so much, Katie Vine, for taking some time and talking to me about how you do this work. We'll see you next week.
Support for Long Form this week came from Listening. Listening makes it easy to convert written text to pleasant audio tracks you can take in no matter what you're doing. It offers AI voices that manage to express emotion and correctly pronounce complicated technical terms, all while sounding like actual human beings, not robots. The Listening app might just transform how you consume reading material, and you can give it a shot for yourself risk-free Normally, you'd get a two-week free trial, but listeners of Longform get a whole month free. Go to listening.com slash longform or use code longform at checkout. Listening. Your life just got a lot easier. 